This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to read through the whole thing, right? I want to be very intentional about this, right? Now, if you need to sit, go ahead and take a seat, right? I don't want you to feel like, man, I got to stand through it, and you're like about to drop and stuff, and you know, so if you, if you need to sit for, for, for whatever reason, that's fine. Take a seat. But I want to intentionally stand and walk through this entire text. So just read with me as I, as, as I read through, all right? That's fine? Yeah. Let's dive in. Verse 8. And Stephan, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they will serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of the circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with them. And rescued him out of all the afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now, there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out 
our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. But at the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there was over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph, who dwelt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would, be, they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in the father's house, in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging the neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of a fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust them aside in their hearts. They turned to Egypt, saying, Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us, as this Moses whom led us out from the land of Egypt, 
We do not know what has become of them. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven. As it is written in the book of prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God of Raphan. The images that you made to worship, I will send you to exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers who had a tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to the Moses, directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua. When they disposed the nations that God drove out before the fathers, so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my, my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You, who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they grounded their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. Father, this is your word and we stand in honor of you, Lord. We ask that you would open up your word to us, Lord, that you would open up your, your truths to our heart and you will plant them deep in the soil of our souls, Lord, that you will cause fruit to bear. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let me keep the flow of this thing going narratively because I want us to see the grand scheme of things and we're going to dive in to what I think God is saying here. Now, last week, Pastor Aaron walked us through Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and we're picking up from, from there. When he walked through that text, he, he, he focused on a complaint between two different groups of people in the church. And Pastor Aaron highlighted the, the practical challenges of church growth in context of diversity. Now, this wasn't just, just like this superficial diversity where people just find with just different people sitting next to each other, but this was, was real in-depth diversity where, where different people cared about what was bothering the different people deeply, even if it was just, it was something that was like culturally they cared about it. And it wasn't primarily about the problem. It was more about the response to the problem. It was a whole church response. They didn't just change how they were serving the Hellenists. They, they changed how they served everyone in response to the concerns of the Hellenists. They said, they said, your problem as a part of the whole is collectively our problem as the whole. He covered the text last week that showed the church couldn't just grow in numbers, but it also had to grow in leaders. It couldn't just grow in, in, in how many people was there. God was doing something else, and he had to raise up more leaders inside the church, more people that wanted to take on the authority and, and, and power and responsibility and burden, all those things. So they raised up seven men whose primary function was to facilitate the serving of the whole and all of his nuances justly. And there was a specific requirement about these seven men. They had to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Yes. Stephen was one of these men. Verse 6 and 8 said that he was filled with power and grace. Now, we see that power displayed in, in, in how he breaks down the truths of the gospel to them. Like, this section where, where, where Stephen preaches is the longest sermon in Acts. And he proclaims it boldly. So we see the power in that. And we see grace displayed in how he used his last dying breaths to intercede for the welfare of those that was killing him. So this idea of he was filled with power and grace is true. His last breath, Lord, don't hold it against them. He's still concerned about their hearts. And he said that he did great wonders and signs. This flies against those that thought the signs was done with just the apostles because he wasn't an apostle. He said he did great wonders and, and, and signs. Now, most of us that are familiar with the gospel, most of us that are familiar with, with these texts and uh, are familiar with Stephen, most of us, we get, we get geek when we hear about Stephen. We're like, yo, 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 that's my boy right there. That's my boy, Stefan. 
I say Stefan. Some people say Stephen. I don't know why I say Stefan. So y'all like, who's this guy he's talking about, right? There you go. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel better now. Most of us, we're like, like little kids reading about our favorite superheroes. And Stefan is one of those superheroes of the faith. And we're reading about him. And we start picturing ourselves right there. Yo, that's me. I'm like Stefan, like a child, likening ourselves to our, super, uh, to our favorite superhero. And a lot of times there's two kinds of responses to Stefan. Either you, you hear how, how much Stefan does, and you're like, well, I ain't nowhere near like that. I'm just a normal Christian. And it's normally you trying to find your identity and works and you start to compare yourself to Stefan and, 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 and others that are like him that, that's always bragging about their exploits and you feel discouraged. I'm just a normal Christian. But we're on the same team, though. We're on the same, me and Stefan are on the same team and I'm good. Or, 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 or you find yourself trying to identify with works by comparing ourselves to Stefan and, and we admit that we are not quite Stefan status yet, but I'm sort of like Stefan in my own way. But dude, here's the reality that most of us don't grip with. Not only are we not Stefan, not only are we, or most of us not even like Stefan, but for most of us, we're the people Stefan is talking to. No one want to claim that. I'm the one Stefan is actually talking to in this text. So, so I want to talk briefly about this speech here. All right? And I want to talk from the perspective and context of the speeches to us, the church. Now, Stefan dives into the speeches. And what's beautiful about when he dives into it, he goes in and he addresses his brothers and, and, and fathers. This is the same way that Peter addressed it. He says, brothers. This is important because it highlights that this is a family discussion. He didn't just enter in as, as enemies, but as families, brothers, fathers. This is a family discussion here. We are all supposed to be the children of God, right? We are all supposed to be the people of God, right? Brothers and fathers, listen to me. It's a family discussion. The thing is, when we enter into discussions looking at the other as an enemy of ours, we're not trying to hear nothing else after that. Because everything we, we see it through is, is, is like, since I see them as an enemy, everything that they're saying is actually to come against me. Nobody is trying to listen to nobody because we're both trying to win. So Stephen goes in and he starts this, this, this family discussion and he's saying brothers and fathers and Stephen walks them through the story of God laid out through history, reaching into the present. Now he doesn't just expound on, on scripture historically and just say, hey, Moses did this and Moses did that. He connects it to where they was at right then and there. He, he, he carries them all the way through the narrative of history and says, this is where we're at right here. And this is how all these things impact where we're, where we're at right now. Like when we're diving into scripture, when we're reading through text, like we want to understand the, the cultural differences. We want to understand the times. We want to understand the reason why things was happening. But we also want to pray that God will give us a prophetic view of how these things speak to us right here right now and even so how 
We are a part of that actual story. So Stephen walks him through this, this long speech, and he makes three points. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through the whole speech, but I'm, what I'm going to do is, is summarize what I feel is the heart of the speech. He makes these three points. One in, in 7 and 53, he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He's confronting them. He's saying, while you say you're protecting the law of Moses, you are notoriously known throughout history for not keeping those very laws. Notorious for it. Yes. And you, you, you're hollering at me? Like, this is an indictment to the church, man. Because we'd be the first one to say, yo, we out there and we fighting for Christian morals and values. Yes, we are. But we are notorious for being a horrible reflection of Christ in this world. We, the church, we have a jacked up history when it comes to that. It humbles us, and it, it makes us realize that we can't keep the law on our own. We need God. And every time we stray away from God, we jack things up bad. And then turn a blind eye to it, throw some theology, and move on. And then he goes into this talk about the temple, right? And I want y'all to get what he's talking about, where he's going at with it. He's helping them to understand you have this truncated view of God. In 74, 5b through 50, he says, So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for God of, of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built the house for him, yet... The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. And then he, he quotes Isaiah 66 and 1. He says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what places of my rest did I not make it all? Listen, we have this really, really bad tendency to place God in, 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 in boxes, or should I say, temples made with the bricks of our own personal views of him. Our personal truncated view of him. And we build this, this box or this, this temple. And we say, God, you're right inside there. But then God exposes the reality that this box that we call a temple was really a temple to our worship. And we tried to hold God hostage inside that temple. On, then we tears down the walls of that temple. It shows us that he's way bigger than that temple. We get mad. We don't even see him kicking down the walls. We see the boots of those he's using. On, then we run after them. Stephen messed with them that day. All they could see was Stephen, not God. So the first one is, we can't keep the law. 
We need God. The second one is we have a truncated view of who God is, how big he is, how sovereign he is. Three, and the one I want to linger at is in 51, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He's like, man, you resisted the Holy Spirit in Abraham, Adam, in Abraham. You resisted the Holy Spirit in Joseph. You resisted the Holy Spirit in Moses. You resisted the Holy Spirit in Jesus. And you are resisting the Holy Spirit right now. can't run through this text without wrestling with how am I resisting the Holy Spirit? In what ways am I historically notorious for resisting him? Be real with yourself. You're not fooling nobody. You're definitely not fooling God. Again, if this is a family affair and the welfare of the family is the concern, then the ultimate concern is following the lead of the head and the the one that we can trust, which is God the Father. The one who sent Abraham, the one who sent Joseph, Moses, the one who came himself in Jesus, whose very spirit has been the one that was rejected throughout history and is still being rejected now. Where at the end of the day, his family is knit together through obedience to the father, the head of the family, obedience to his son, who is the very image and likeness, obedience to his spirit. This is what makes you a part of the family. Ah, but, but Stephen shifts. He goes in, he says, man, brothers, Brothers, our fathers, our fathers. And then they get to 51, to 7 and 51, and he shifts. He shifts from our fathers to your fathers. Stephen distances himself from the fathers and the contempt, his contemporaries who were guilty of forever opposing the Holy Spirit. He's going inside this guy. Yo, we all, we all part, of, we, we part of the same family, right? We all part of it's our fathers, same family. But after a while, he's like, are we really part of the same family? Your, your fathers. Your, your fathers, you and your fathers. Because it's starting to begin really clear here that I'm serving a different father and I'm part of a different family. Probably we're not really part of the same family. Probably this is not really a family discussion at all. Listen, if you're resisting the Holy Spirit, then you're submitting to something else in place of the Holy Spirit. Then then that's an idol. The most dangerous thing is when God decides to give you over to that idol. This is what Stephen points out in the midst of it. When he's talking about Moses and he came back, it says it said in 7 and 42 that God gave him over to worship the stars of the sky. And that was part of their punishment. Keep messing around and resisting the Holy Spirit. Let God turn around and say, fine, go ahead, have what you want. Keep that. 
crazy because they literally revert to this immature, childish behavior. It says that they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed them. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not listening. Listen, this is how we act in the spirit and in our heart. When God starts tearing down our idols, we stop our ears and cry out with a loud voice. I want you to remember what they originally struggled with when they talked with Stephen. This, he, he was talking with them, and when they found a problem, this is before they even showed up why he's in court. They said, they, they said, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. Ah, not just that he knew a lot of things. They couldn't understand the wisdom and spirit. It's the spirit of God that was making the difference. Why he had wisdom was the spirit of God, and they couldn't withstand it. This is the difference between spirit-filled apologetics. Some people want to say, I'm spirit-filled. Some people want to say, man, I'm all about apologetics. But what about spirit-filled apologetics? I want to ask you today, are you ignoring the signs that the Holy Spirit is giving you? Because it doesn't fit into your view of God? And 6 to 15, it says, they was gazing at him, all who sat in the council, and they saw the face, his face was like the face of an angel. And even though they saw his face was like the face of an angel, they still went at him with their darts. Totally bypassed this, like, yo, something is going on here. It says, but he... Listen, the only way that you will have a right view of the kingdom of God and its king is if you submit to the spirit of God. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Key word is full of the Holy Spirit. This is the only way that we'll endure suffering right. Because we'll endure it through those lenses. We trek through this thing and then we close out the scene. This whole section here. When this whole section gets all wrapped up, we close out the scene. And, and, and Stefan is, is getting killed. There's this introduction of, of this guy that we know by the name of Paul, but right here he's called Saul. He, he makes his appearance right here. I want you guys to stay tracking with the story. There's a very important reason why they, they, they point out Stephen, I mean Paul right here. He's the one that they call Saul. Later on we'll hear more about that. This great persecution of the church happens. And in the midst of it all, the spreading of the gospel goes beyond the Jerusalem. Yeah. You have to see the sovereignty of God in the whole thing. Remember, the general theme of Acts is, is how we become witnesses of the king and how the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. This is where we're driving at. This only happens by relying on the Spirit of God. 
That's the only way that you, you trust. That's the only way that you go into dangerous territory. That's the only way that you do these things. It only happens by relying on the Spirit of God. The sovereignty of God is always in control. This is what you see being displayed. This is why Stephen can walk in and know that his faith is just like everybody else's faith. I'm about to die, but I'm going in hard. You're going to fall on, on one of two sides of this thing. Either you're going to be the stiff-necked, hard-hearted haters, notorious throughout history. Or you're going to be the one that submit to the flow of God and he's in control. And you're not trying to strong-arm him to do what you think theologically makes sense. But instead, he explains theology to you and says, I'm carrying you along my mission. See, even in our resistance of God, he's sovereign. Even in our resistance of him, God will use your resistance and, and the persecution of his will to his advantage. Go ahead, fight against me. I'll use your fighting against me to my advantage. I'm the one that's in control here, not you. This is why Stephen could, could joyfully lay his life down, his life down. Listen, you'll miss it. You'll miss it if you think this portion of the taxes is, is, is about Stephen. You'll miss it. You think, well, okay, it's not about Stephen. It's about those Jewish leaders. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. You'll miss it if you think it's about you. It's about the mission of God, the mission of God done through his people submitted to his will. That's what this portion of the text about. That's what the entire book of Acts is about. Each and every week when we cover through these things, the story isn't about you. It's about God. It's about submitting to his spirit and his work. But what he's doing, and the question is being asked, are you submitted to what he's doing or are you trying to do your own thing? But it's his story, and his story is going to prevail whether you're submitted to him or not. It's about the mission of God and his people. Listen. I'm going to close this off now because I want to go into a time of communion and prayer. I want to put emphasis on communion and I want to put emphasis on prayer. The heart of the push this day, next week, the weeks before, was how we desperately need the Holy Spirit, how God is on mission. And if we are going to be on mission with God, we need to be submitted to his spirit. It's about what he's doing. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.